Amen. It's good to be with you guys tonight. Um, it's always nice to Pastor Matt, too. He needs a lot of pastoring. I'm sure you guys have, um, have learned that by now. Uh, but no, it, I mean, I mean this in all sincerity. It, it takes a lot to get me out of the house after 9 o'clock. And so, if I, I mean, I'm just at that age where it's like I'm normally, yes, 920. I'm getting in bed right now. Um, I'm going to watch a little Netflix. I'm going to go to sleep. And so to get me out of the house, it means I must really love somebody. And I don't know any of you, so I don't, I I love you in Christ, but I really love Matt and I'm really thankful um, for him. I'm really glad that, I I hope you're glad and that he's your campus minister and Ivy with him um, because they're really great. And so they're a real gift to this campus, I know. All right, so tonight I'm going to go ahead and read this passage because it's a little bit long. It's probably one that you're really familiar with, but um, there's about... 20 different sermons that I could preach from this passage tonight. It's one of my favorite encounters that Jesus has in in the Gospels. Um, But we're going to pick one route with this passage. And I hope that even as y'all been going through Jonah um, this semester, and you think about Jonah being this prophet who is called to Nineveh, a place that he doesn't want to go, and it's kind of revealed later in in that prophecy that he doesn't want to go there because he doesn't want... Um, Nineveh to repent. He doesn't want them to to believe. And when Jesus comes, Jesus says, I'm the greater Jonah uh, that has come. And and we can find a million examples of what that means in the Gospels, but I don't know that any of them are more clear uh, than this passage and what we see Jesus doing in this passage tonight. So John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. This is God's word. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. That's the middle of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. 
And Jesus said to, her, said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Amen. This is it's God's word. Um, it's given to us tonight because he actually loves us. And he wants us to know him. And this is how we know him. This is how he reveals himself to us. And so the reason that you're here tonight is because he's drawn you here. He's made an appointment with you and he wants to meet you. And so before we think about that, let me pray. Father, we pray that you would do just that, that you would meet us through your word and by your spirit. I pray that you would help us uh, to be honest with ourselves, um, because we already know that you see all things and you know all things. To you, all hearts are open and all desires are known. And that could be a terrifying thought um, if we didn't know what Jesus was like, because Jesus is the perfect imprint of your nature. And here we see him moving toward a woman who is deeply thirsty, uh, a thirst that she, she can't even express or explain, and yet Jesus moves towards her. So we pray that you would move toward us tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, I had a, a friend who, he was experiencing all of these different kind of physical ailments. Um, he was pretty young. I mean, he was a little older than me, but he was pretty young. He was relatively good shape. He was pretty fit. And so he was, he was kind of one of those people um, who gets kind of obsessed if they don't feel good. Have we have any of those people in here? My wife is like this. He wants to figure it out. And so he had been feeling like tired. He'd been feeling lethargic. And so he's asking all of these people kind of what they think is, is wrong with him. And then he's also doing the thing that you should never do when there's something kind of unexplained that's wrong with you is he goes to the Internet. Um, he starts Googling his symptoms. You know, he diagnoses that he's going to die like within three days. But, but basically he starts gathering all of this information and he starts to put it into practice. Right. And so. He is like buying vitamins. Um, he's like buying like organic teas. He, he's, somebody told him he's probably not sleeping enough. He buys, I'm not kidding, he buys a white noise machine, a body pillow, an eye mask, and earplugs. Um, I mean, he, when he, he met with me one day to talk about this, and I was drinking coffee, and he wasn't drinking coffee. And I told him, like, do you drink coffee? And he was like, no, I've never drank coffee. And I'm like, it's your problem. I mean... It's coffee is coffee is the answer. And like right then he goes and orders a cup of coffee, takes his first sip. And I'm not kidding. He disappeared for like 30 minutes because what he failed to tell me, he was also allergic to caffeine. And so he was having some problems in the bathroom. Um, so anyway, he goes through he goes through all of these things. And then then finally, 
one day somebody, like some random person is listening to him. He was like, I know exactly what you need to read. And he's like, tell me. And like, it's a book, it's called You're Not Sick, You're Thirsty. And so basically, somebody wrote, actually wrote an entire book telling you that you're dehydrated, and they made, somehow made money off of that book. So he buys the book, he reads it, it just basically tells him to drink more water. He drinks a much more water, and it turns out they were right. I mean, he was severely dehydrated, and he gets a lot better. And I was talking to him about it, and he was like, you know, I went through all of these things. I I spent all of this money, and the thing that I actually needed, the thing that actually made me feel better was right in front of me all the time, and it didn't cost anything. I mean, I could walk down the hall right now. I just did it before we we came in here, and I filled up my water bottle. Nobody charged me. Somebody was paying for that water. It it wasn't me, though. You were actually, you, you paid for my water tonight. Thank you. And so what happened after that is that he became like, it was like he was baptized in the church of hydration. I mean, he, he became like the gospel preacher of drinking more water. It's like everywhere he went, he was telling people, you need to drink more water. Here's the thing. Every single one of us in the room tonight, we are born... We're born thirsty. That, that thirsty people are all over this campus, that thirsty people are all over this city, that you live, if you're in a dorm room, you live with a thirsty person. You sleep every night next to a thirsty person, that you are here tonight because there's a part of you that is deeply thirsty, right? And what do I mean by that? I mean that we, we can feel that there are symptoms. There are things we don't feel right. We feel like there is something wrong with us. If I get you in a room long enough to talk about yourself, you're going to eventually talk about the fact that there are things about yourself that are deeply troubling to you, and you maybe don't even know how to express them. And the fact is, we are deeply thirsty people. And it's strange because we're always, we're always looking for something that is going, we're asking people, we're listening to people. It might be the reason you're here tonight. We're looking for something that is going to make us feel better. And we live in a time when, I mean, there's a lot of things to reach for, right? Um, there's a lot of things that you can do to, to whatever that feeling is inside of us, that feeling that we feel off. There's a lot of things that you can do to numb that feeling to make that feeling go away. You have more opportunities, you have more mobility, you have more education, you go to the grocery store and you can like, if you're into cereal, I mean, there's an entire aisle devoted to your love of cereal. There are a million ways that you can try to feel better, to just forget whatever it is that's bothering you. And here, But here's the thing, and you know this already because you're old enough to know this, that Why is it the things that everyone tells us are going to make us happy almost never do? 
Why is it the things that everyone says are going to make us happy? You might be at college. You didn't really ask even why or if you were going to go to college. It was just what you were supposed to do because you had to get a certain degree, because you have to get a certain job, because you have to live in a certain neighborhood, because you have to make X amount and number of dollars, because you have to have a family, because you have to have kids, whatever it is. And we haven't really stopped and asked, is, am I looking for something that eventually is going to make this a feeling inside of me go away? Where am I ever going to get? When am I ever going to get there? And, and sometimes in my own life, I see this, that we feel like, and I see it with my kids. Um, we're like kids on Christmas. Like my kids will be like, I want this thing for Christmas. And for like months, they obsess over it. And then Christmas comes, they get it sometimes. Um, they open it up, they look at it, or they put it on, or whatever it is, and within about 30 minutes, they've forgotten it. I mean, I was, I was laughing with Matt over dinner. My, my son is sort of a, um, a shoeaholic. I was going to say shoe whore, but that's not proper, is it? Uh, he's kind of a shoeaholic right now, and he... Um, he like, he's 14 and he's like really into shoes. And he's like, the other night he was just scrolling through shoe after shoe. And he had a list and he was showing me, look at these, look at these. They're all hideous. Look at these, look at these, look at these. He has a rack in his room where he's like saved money, bought shoes. And I was like, Sam, is there ever a day coming when you're finally going to get the shoe and it's just going to be the shoe? And he just looked at me like, he usually looks at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> My dad's a preacher. He says things like that to me. There was a um, there was kind of a viral clip that went around um, a few years ago. It was um, Conan O'Brien interviewing um, Louis C.K. and you're probably not supposed to use any illustrations with Louis C.K. even before his most recent stuff, but I'm using it anyway. It's um, basically what Louis C.K. was talking about is how he doesn't give phones to his kids, like they don't have cell phones. And, um, you know, Conan, Conan is asking him why. And, and Louis C.K. says, well, the reason I don't give him phones is because, you know, that deep, dark feeling of sadness inside of us. And Conan's like, yes. <laughs> he was like, they need to feel that. And he was like, let me give you an illustration of what I mean. He was like, I was driving the other day and I started to feel this. I started to feel it. I started to feel the sadness. And there was a Bruce Springsteen song on the radio, Jungle Land. And as Jungle Land, as Bruce Springsteen is howling, he was like, it just intensified the sadness and the feeling in me. Everything in me wanted to, as I'm driving, grab my phone and start to text people. I wanted to text like 50 of my friends and just see if anybody would respond to me. But he was like, but I didn't. And what I ended up doing instead, because I didn't pick up my phone and text a bunch of people, is I pulled into a parking lot and I just started weeping. He was like, because I needed to feel it. And this is the question I want to ask you as we think about this passage. It's, it's, it's an uncomfortable question. It's a question that I have to ask myself every day. What is the thing that you reach for when you feel unworthy, when you feel sad, when you feel empty, when you feel lonely? And what I'm not asking you, y'all are all in a campus ministry. You could be doing other things tonight. I'm not asking you if you believe in Jesus. I'm asking you, what do you reach for when you feel sad, when you feel ashamed, when you feel lonely, 
when you feel unworthy. I'm asking you what your actions tell you about where your trust actually lies. So here's the good news. This is my first point. Is that Jesus is actually, and it's all over this passage, Jesus is actually looking for thirsty people. Jesus took on flesh and came and dwelt among us, not because he was looking for people who were full already. He wasn't looking for people who were already satisfied. Jesus actually entered the world and entered this earth because he was looking for thirsty people. And what that tells me is that it's okay to be thirsty. It's okay to let yourself feel that feeling inside. It's okay to admit it. It's okay to talk about it. That's part of the reason that we come here, because Jesus is looking for thirsty people. And we see it in this passage because, I mean, I don't know if you ever think about it. Some of you are maybe really familiar with the Bible. Others of you maybe not. But Jesus doesn't have, like, chance encounters, right? Um, I mean, Jesus wouldn't have, like, posted in the classifieds, like, a missed encounter. Like, I, I saw this person in the... Anyway, Jesus is very deliberate in what he does. And, and John tells us that Jesus... In this passage, he leaves an uncomfortable situation. because he, Why? Because he had to go through Samaria. Now, it, what we know about Samaria, John gives us a little parenthetical note that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. That's a really kind way of putting it. Um, Jews actually hated Samaritans. Jews thought of Samaritans, um, it really in their own language, as half-breeds. They saw them as worse than swine. Jews hated Samaritans. And so when they traveled to Galilee, they would go oftentimes around Samaria because to pass through Samaria would mean you'd have to interact with Samaritans. And to interact with Samaritans would make you unclean. But John said that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Why? Because Jesus had an appointment with this woman. Jesus wanted to meet with this woman. Jesus goes into Sychar in the middle of the day, sits on the side of the well, and he waits for this woman because Jesus wants to meet this deeply thirsty, broken woman. Now, in order for Jesus to do that, I mean, this is, a, this is another sermon, but Jesus had to cross through many, many barriers to even talk to this woman. So he, he, he crosses through a racial barrier, so this is a different race. He crosses through a religious barrier. Samaritans, I mean, she, she alludes to it in the passage. You know, you guys worship on this mountain and we worship on this mountain. It's because Samaritans had intermarried and they'd mixed with pagan religions. And so Jews saw them as having a false religion. So he, he passes through racial, religious barriers. He passes a gender barrier. I mean, she's shocked that he talks to her. Like, what, why would you be talking to me? His disciples are shocked when they come back that he's talking to this woman. But he passes through a sin barrier that we're going to talk about in a minute as well. And why does he do that? Why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus want to meet this woman? I think it's because she's thirsty. And he knows she is. And he knows that she's so thirsty that she's ready to actually taste what living, water, what living water can do. She's ready for it. 
She's primed for it because Jesus is looking for thirsty people. What does that mean? It means he's not looking for perfect people. It's not, he's not looking for cleaned up people. He's not looking for people who have the right mom or dad or grew up in the right church or people with good college degrees or people with well-paying jobs. He's looking for people who have drunk from other wells and are not satisfied with them at all. And they are ready for living water. Why, why, why is that? I think this is my, my own take on it. My, I think it's because people who know that their thirst can be met in other places make really lousy witnesses. And Jesus has gone into Samaria because this is the... It's hard for us to wrap our minds around how ridiculous and radical it is that Jesus is going into Samaria because he wants someone to be a witness to the gospel. First of all, the fact that Jesus cared about Samaritans shocked his disciples and would have shocked everyone else. But the fact that he chooses this woman to be the first witness of the gospel in Samaria is kind of earth-shattering because it's as if he sets his sight on the, on the most broken person in town, the most difficult case in town. Because people who don't know that their thirst can't be met anywhere else make for lousy witnesses. Now, they might make for pretty decent churchgoers. They might show up at Bible study, but they make lousy witnesses. But people who have drunk from other wells and then taste of living water are people who are changed. They become like my friend who was the gospel of hydration, right? They want to tell everyone what they have tasted and how it has healed them. So what's going on in this conversation exactly? Well, I think the Samaritan woman, she's coming to the well in the middle of the day. We know that that's not normally when you would go to the well. You would usually go early in the morning or late in the afternoon when it's not as hot. This woman is trying to avoid other people. She doesn't want to be seen by other people. She's avoiding the stares that she's probably getting from the other women in town, and we'll talk about that in a second. It's probably hot out. This isn't like a fun chore to bring like a, a, you know, a clay vessel and go to a well and then haul it back to your house. This is part of the daily grind, and this is where Jesus meets her. And he says to this woman, first of all, give me a drink. And she's shocked by that statement because for Jesus to say to her, give me a drink, Jesus didn't have anything to drink out of. That means Jesus was saying, I want to drink out of your jar. Maybe out of a ladle that, that she had. And then he says, well, listen, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, she has no idea what he's talking about, right? She doesn't understand what he means. Does this mean that I don't have to come back to this? You have some sort of magic water, some secret water where I don't have to come back to this well anymore that will quench my thirst. All right, give me that water. I want that water to, to drink. And when she says that, I think that what happens is that Jesus then begins to expose in her all the different wells that she's been drinking from. Now, that sounds scary, but I want to say, like, if you've actually met Jesus, if Jesus has met you, what Jesus does is scary because Jesus exposes us. Um, we, can't, we, we can't have Jesus look upon us and not be seen for what we really are. So Jesus exposes us, and that's what he does to this woman. Now, 
if you've had people in your life who know things about you and they've exposed those things to other people and the reason that they did that was probably to humiliate you or hurt you, right? I mean, you could think back to like grade school, somebody knew a secret about you and they, they told everyone else it's because they wanted to feel better about you. Jesus never exposes us to hurt us. Jesus always exposes us to heal us. And that's what he's doing with this woman in this passage. He shows what wells she's been drinking from. He exposes it so that he can allow her to taste what he actually has to offer her. And so what are the wells that she's been drinking from? I mean, they're pretty obvious. You don't have to be a a biblical scholar um, to see what he's alluding to. Because the first well that she's been drinking from that's not satisfying her is the well of relationships and sexuality. And so Jesus says to her, okay, if you want some of this water, run and get your husband, bring him back here, and I'll tell you about it. And she says to Jesus, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you are right in saying that you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man that you're with now isn't your husband. Jesus is saying, I see you. Jesus is clear showing her. I mean, can you imagine if somebody said this to you? Like, hey, run and get your, 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 you know, your friend. And they're like, what I really know is that you've, you've had like 20 friends and none of them are your friends anymore. And the person that you're with now, like the, the so-called friend, they're really not your friend either. You'd be like, have you been watching me? Have you been following me? Jesus is saying, I know. I know the pain and the hurt that you've been feeling. I know that you thought that every single one was going to love you so well that you wouldn't have that nagging sense of worthlessness inside. I know. I know that each one that rejected you only made the thirst more painful. Jesus is saying, I see that, and I know. I know that you've used sex to try to, to get that feeling to go away. And I know that it's only made it more intense. It's only made you more lonely. It's only increased your thirst all the more. I know all of that. You see, in what Jesus knew and what was commonly known in that day, which we may not know as well, is that, because I've heard this preached before, and I thought, basically, it's like, man, Jesus is being a real jerk to this woman. And it seemed like, you know, Jesus is like shaming her. Yeah, I know. I know you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. But what you have to know about this culture is that a man could divorce his wife for almost any reason. And what Jesus, I think, is saying to this woman is that what I see is that five men have said, you aren't worthy. Five men have said, I don't want you anymore. Five men have kicked you out of their house. And so the one you're with now doesn't even have to marry you. That's why the other women in town, she doesn't go during the morning or the evening. She goes in the middle of the day because she's a threat to their, husband, to their marriages. Jesus says, I see that. I know all of that about you. I know how much pain you're in. And, and we could relate to this woman in some level, right? Because we can at least relate as, as far as thinking. It makes perfect sense to us that there is someone who is going to make us feel better, right? Now, for Matt, it's me. But for most of you, like, there's someone who's going to make you feel better. It makes perfect sense that there's someone out there who can completely take away your loneliness. I mean, really old movie reference, but Jerry Maguire, like, you complete me, right? And we think there's got to be someone out there that 
is finally going to complete me. And I'm just here to say you, tell you, there's not. They don't exist. And the more you put that weight on another person, the more that you try to get another person to completely take away that thirst, the more you start to suck them dry, and the more you become angry that they can never be all that you actually want them to be. And Jesus knows that. He knows that that many of our relationships fall apart every single day because we want from other people what they can actually never give us. Not in fullness, at least. And so some of us, maybe maybe we're doing that right now. I mean, maybe it's what we spend, you know, our days doing is that we're looking around um, and thinking, surely there is someone here who's finally going to fully understand me. And when that happens, this pain is going to go away. I mean, I see it. I see it in my church all the time. I see, I mean, I do a lot of counseling with couples, and I see that the, the fight that they had that week, it really wasn't about dishes or kids or money or sex. It was about thirst. And it was about, it was about this thirst because you, you really can't love another person if you think that person's role in your life is to make you completely satisfied. And so some of us, maybe we realize that and we go from one person to the next person to the next person. And then some of us maybe start to give up or some of us start to daydream about another life. Some of us start to pull away emotionally. Some of us um, get engulfed in pornography because we know that there's this deep thirst that just won't go away. And it's killing us. And everything, else, everything around us says, well, re- here's another thing to reach for. Here's another thing to reach for. Here's another person to reach for. Here's another life to reach for. And you'll find the thing or the person or the experience, and it will take away the thirst. And it's a powerful lie. Nobody has to teach it to you in order for you to believe it. We're born believing it. Others of us are maybe tempted to put life on hold until the right person shows up. And I think, you know, it's, okay, it's really cliche to be like the guest preacher to college students that come in and talk about social media. So, sorry, just forgive me. But um, kids these days with their social media, uh, <laughs> let me tell you, I'm talking to me. I'm 43, and I'm addicted to social media, okay? I'm going to say it to all of you. Like, it's powerful, right? And what's powerful about it is that I get to, I get to basically live somebody else's life. I get to think about, I get to look at somebody else's, what looks like, it looks better than what I'm experiencing right now. And like the study, there are studies that have shown like after scrolling through Instagram for 45 minutes, you actually feel more depressed. There's a reason for that. It's because you're thirsty. And here's the thing, God made relationships, God made friendships, God made marriage, and they are good when they function to point you to the true living water, but they are really poor substitutes for the real thing. And you end up using other people and then discarding them because you want, you, you want to finally find the one who's going to quench your thirst. Okay, so this is making her uncomfortable, obviously, and so she does um, what we often do when somebody exposes us. What do we do when somebody exposes especially if we're people who've grown up in the South and grown up in, like, the Bible Belt, um, if somebody sees something about our life that is sinful, we tell them about our church, right? We tell them about the Bible study that we go to. 
Um, we tell them about the religious things that we're involved in, right? No, 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 no. You don't have, you've got me all wrong. I'm actually a very religious person. I actually grew up just down the road at such and such church. You, you understand that's what she does in this passage. When Jesus exposes her, he actually exposes the second well that she's drinking from, which is really the well of morality and the well of religious posturing. I mean, you see what she does. She, she feels exposed, but Jesus is exposing her not to hurt her. He's exposing her to heal her. And so she deflects to something that she thinks is good about herself. She deflects to her religion. She tries to change. I see that you're a prophet. Let's talk about where you guys worship versus where we worship. Let's talk, what's your, didn't you all just build a new church? What's that like? I'm, def, I'm going to deflect the argument away from the thing that makes me feel really uncomfortable and try to get you to see something that actually I think is really good about me. And Jesus just isn't buying it because that hasn't quenched her thirst either. And here's the thing, some, some people, probably none of you in this room, but some people feel the emptiness and they think they can fill it with goodness. They think they can fill it with good grades. They think that they can fill it with the right image. They think that they can fill it by just being good people. Because some of us are actually good at being good, and we've been told we're good at being good our whole life, and we've been praised for the very dirty well that we're drinking out of. Because sometimes being good is actually being bad. And it becomes a way, how so? Because it actually becomes a way of avoiding Jesus. It becomes a way for not actually having, this is what she's trying to do. She's trying to distance herself from Jesus at this point. I don't want to need you. I'm going to show you how I'm actually a moral, good, religious person. It becomes a way of not feeling our need. We meet our needs all by ourselves. It's the, it's the hardest, I think it's often the hardest for good people to feel their thirst. Because they're just so dang busy being good. I had, a, um, I had a student for a while. I was a campus minister at Furman for seven years. I had a student who was, I mean, quite literally the most, I mean, I was kind of intimidated around her. I'm not very smart. She was like the, the smartest person I'd ever met. Like, you want a good internship in the summer? Like, she's like interning at the NSA because she's been fluent in Chinese since she was eight, right? She was also like a very attractive, very popular person. Everyone loved her. What, I mean, what people, the, the kind of door I got invited in in her life is what people didn't know and didn't understand is that she was also incredibly depressed and incredibly anxious. And so I had the privilege of, um, of doing her wedding. Um, and when I, when I do somebody's wedding, I give them usually a, a questionnaire that's like this really long questionnaire before I do their premarital counseling. They've got to answer all these questions and it, one of the questions in that questionnaire was, what are the words that have most negatively impacted your life? And this is what she said. She said, as strange as it sounds, the, the words that most negatively impacted me were those that told me how gifted I was and how I could do anything that I wanted. I've been haunted by those words. They have caused me to neglect relationships, work myself into literal exhaustion, and driven me to depression time and time again. It has been hard for me to believe in grace 
because I see all of life as based upon merit. It has been, why? Because all of her life, everyone's, you are so smart, you can do anything you want. And she thinks, what if I can't? Will anybody love me? Sometimes even the best things about us are the things that we drink most deeply of because we, we want that to make the feeling go away. This is why people accept me. This is why people love me. Some of us reach for good things to keep from feeling our thirst. And I think this is the hardest to see because they are the things that everyone maybe praises us for. It's easy to see the woman has had five husbands and the one she's with now is not her husband. It's harder to see that maybe we're addicted to looking good. Maybe we're addicted to keeping everything in order in our life. Right? I mean, there's got to be at least a few of you in here that, like, you're just good at being organized and, like, everything in your life is organized. And if anything throws off your organization, you have a complete meltdown. I was at um, a couple's house a couple years ago. And they were, he, the husband was showing me around the house, and, like, it was, like, eerie how perfect everything was. I mean, it may be because my wife and I are slobs, but, I mean, compare it, like, in, this wasn't even compared to my house. This was just, like, everything was pristine. And I said to him, I was like, man, y'all's house is, like, it's just, like, so clean. I feel like I could, like, eat out of the toilet. It's just amazing. And I was like, is it always like this? And this look came over his face that was just like this look of exhaustion. And he said, it is always like this. Because she can never, ever, ever, ever stop. What would it mean if my, lo- if my house was not clean and perfect? <coughs> Sometimes we reach for good things. Sometimes, you know, in our like, this is a very, you know, white upper middle class world, Right? That we, we have laws of our own. We eat right, you know? Why do I, I don't need living water. I've got, like, green smoothies and kombucha, right? I mean, and it, you laugh at it, but it's true. It's like something about that makes us feel like we're good people, like we're doing something good. Um, exercise. I don't know if, if Wofford's like Furman, but, like, I didn't see hardly anybody at Furman who didn't exercise, like, three times a day. I mean, like, the cardio machines were crazy. And it's like... Worship, you know, could be, like, negotiable uh, if I've got enough time, but, like, do not mess with my exercise time. Or service. I mean, maybe the thing that we're constantly doing something for someone else, we don't have to feel our own neediness. We don't have to feel our own thirst. I was talking to a a woman recently who's a missionary and has become a good friend, and and she was saying, she she was like, Tim, I am good at helping people, and I have used that my whole life to avoid Jesus. That's an honest, what an honest person. So what is, what is this that Jesus is offering? I'll end with this. This woman, she still doesn't know yet, right? I mean, she, she's, she's maybe getting there, but she, she hasn't quite fully comprehended Jesus' code language about living water. She isn't quite sure... Jesus has exposed her. She's feeling uncomfortable. She's tried to talk religion, and he's really exposed that as well. And so she gets to this point, and so Samaritans and Jews both believed in a Messiah. 
And so she gets to this point where she's frustrated. She's wanting to end the conversation. And she basically just says, I know that the Christ, the Messiah is coming. And when he gets here, he'll explain all of this to us. And Jesus looks at this woman in the eye and says, the person you're talking to is, I'm the one. I'm standing right in front of you that I hold all things in my hand, that all things belong to me, and I am actually the thing that you are longing for. I am the thing that you're thirsting for. And what happens to this woman when she she understands that what Jesus is actually offering her is that he sees everything about her, and yet Jesus embraces her and forgives her and accepts her. That's what we're thirsty for. We're thirsty for somebody to see everything about us to see everything that we've ever did, and, and the, especially the one who knows us and created us, and to look at us and say, I love you. That's what we want. And what happens to this woman is that she runs out and she says, you have to come see the one who told me everything that I ever did. And I think that what she's saying is that this woman, he, he told me everything that I ever did, and yet he, he loves me. This is the man who didn't reject me. This is the man who sees all of my flaws and all of my cracks. And finally, he, ta- he accepts me, that she's taste of this living water. And she immediately runs out and she invites others to come and taste it. Because thirsty people who have been satisfied, what you always find is that they are generous people. They're hospitable people. They're natural evangelists. They don't need to take a class because they are drawn to people who are also thirsty. They're not using up other people in order to fill a void. Jesus stood up at a festival and he said, when they were pouring out the water, and he said, whoever comes to me, like from their bellies will flow rivers of living water. And that's what this woman is experiencing. And I want to just, I'll end with this question. What would it look like this week if when you felt the sadness coming on, when you felt the feeling that you didn't add up, you didn't compare to the person next to you, when you felt that feeling that you did the same thing again that you're ashamed of, when you felt lonely, when you felt like that nobody is ever going to actually love you, what if this time you stop and let yourself feel it? And then what if in letting yourself feel it, what if you actually turn and look at Jesus and see that he is right there because Jesus has come not for well people, not for satisfied and full people. Jesus has come for thirsty people. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be honest um, with ourselves. Help us this week as we go about all the things that we have to do and the different expectations that are on us as we live in a world that really is a meritocracy that, that measures us by what we do, I pray that, Father, we would find rest beyond compare in the love and the forgiveness of your Son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.